Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right, everybody, welcome back to our series, Heaven is for Real. We're taking a look at what the Bible has to say about this home that God has prepared for everybody who has received Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. And here's some cool news. Um, heaven is more crowded today than it was before Easter Sunday. Is that, is that cool? Quick show of hands. How many of you were here for Easter Sunday? Were you here for Easter Sunday? It was amazing. Across campuses, again, uh, we had record attendance. 5,000 people packed into auditoriums in New Brunswick and Nutley and Mountainside. Very exciting, but it's not the best news. The best news is that on Easter Sunday... 179 men and women made the decision to stand up and pray to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Would you welcome them? We are so glad that you are part of God's family. You're not joining a church. Your eternity is changing. And the stories are still pouring in. It was really cool. In one service, we had entire families stand up, mom, dad, the two kids, about 12 and 9 years old. Another one, we had five sisters who were visiting together. One of them attended. She invited her other four sisters. They ranged in age from 15 to 35, and all five made the decision to receive Christ as their Savior. So you're talking about entire families who are having legacies changed. Personally, for me, that's the most exciting thing to witness happening in a church, to see someone who is living on this side of eternity right now. They step across the line of faith, put their trust in Jesus Christ, and their eternal destiny actually is changed. That's how it is in God's eyes. We move from death over to life. And that is a very powerful thing. If you remember in John 14, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So heaven is a real place. Jesus Christ is the path there. And this spring, heaven is more crowded because of you. And that's very, very exciting. So congratulations to those of you who prayed to become a Christian. Your salvation is now secure. Your home in heaven is guaranteed. And today, I want to talk about what it's going to be like. Because if someone said to you, hey, I am kind of preparing this brand new home for you, and it's going to be beyond anything that you can imagine, you would be like, all right, dude, show me the blueprints. What does this look like? Describe it to me. If my, think about it. If your life on earth is 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, right, at most, but you know you're going to spend forever and forever after that, 10,000 years and evermore, you would want to know what that home is going to be like. You'd be like, describe it to me. And a lot of people think, again, that heaven is this airy-fairy concept. The Bible is very specific. And we're going to look today at the last book of the Bible, Revelation, to see what God has in store for those who love him. So you can open your Bible to Revelation chapter 21. Easy to find. It's one of the last few pages of your Bible. It's called Revelation because in this book, God pulls back the curtain and reveals the afterlife. It's written by the disciple John who had this revelation of the life waiting for us in heaven. Now, the thing is, John, when he wrote this, was on earth. In fact, he was in prison at this time. And God said, I'm going to reveal to you, give you a sneak peek of the heavenly home awaiting you and all believers who believe in the gospel. So we're going to zero in on this next to last chapter as John describes the details of the heavenly city. Just to refresh on Easter, we established three things, that heaven is a physical place. It is not this pie in the sky, wispy concept. It is a concrete material reality. Jesus said, it's my father's house. It has many rooms and it's prepared by Christ. Jesus said, I'm going there to prepare a place 
for you. And so you will be in the presence of Christ himself. And it is a promise to all of God's children. Jesus says, if I go there, I'm going to come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. That's a promise to everybody who asks Jesus to forgive their sin and be the Lord of their life. Now, what is this place Jesus is preparing for us? That's what you're about to read in Revelation 21. What John describes here, let's read the first three verses together. It says, Then I saw a new what? A new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the what? The holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. Now let's just pause here to establish something critical. Because there are a lot of popular cliches about what heaven is like, you know, a sea of fluffy clouds, you know, or a never-ending field of golden grass, and those may be elements of heaven. But the number one fact established about heaven, according to John in Revelation, is that heaven is a city. He says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Now, let's talk about cities for a minute. What's your favorite city in the world? Go ahead, call them out. What are they? San Francisco, Seattle, you like rain? Enjoy that. That's not mine. <laughs> Paris, awesome. Last uh, spring, our family, we took a trip to, uh, with friends to Italy. And, uh, you know, my, by far my favorite city was Rome. Because in Rome, it's like the mix of the old and the new. This amazing architecture, thousands of years old, museums and shops brimming with art and music, fountains to explore, and of course, gelato. Okay, that's heaven, all right? The nickname of Rome, does anybody know what it is? It's the eternal city, okay? But according to the Bible, there's really only one city that will last forever. The holy city, the new Jerusalem, which here in Revelation is described, listen, as the capital city of heaven. Now, I want you again, think of the great cities of our world. Can you identify on the, these icons? Do you guys know what these are? Take a look at this first picture. Let me show you this one. Everybody knows what this is? This is the... Empire State Building, <laughs> yeah, okay. It's early New York, okay, city. How about this one? Take a look at this one. Anybody know what city this is? London, of course, there's Big Ben. How about this one? Do you know what this one is? You guys know what this is, right? Yeah, that is Tokyo. That is actually Tokyo. I tricked you, suckas. That is, that's the Tokyo Tower, okay, in Japan. This is the Eiffel Tower, okay, in Paris. It was modeled off of that, right? But there's something about international cities that's iconic. You, they instantly recognize them, right? Global cities are known for their sheer size and their grandeur, for being seats of power and beautiful culture. And as dazzling as some of the architecture of our, the cities in our world are, none of them compare with this dazzling city that John describes here in Revelation. The word city is mentioned 15 times in Revelation 21 and 22. And it's not metaphoric. It is a literal, physical city where God and his people will dwell together forever. John says, I heard this voice saying, look, look, you can see it. God's dwelling place is now among the people. He'll dwell with them. We'll be his people. God himself will be with us and he'll be our God. Now, what is the name of this city? It is called the New Jerusalem. 
Now, look at that word Jerusalem. You see the word Salem there. Salem means peace. So this is a city of peace. It's governed or ruled by the Prince of Peace. And I want you to understand this because a lot of Christians don't under, get this, okay? The new Jerusalem is not synonymous with all of heaven. Heaven is a much broader territory. It is a boundary-less expanse across the universe. It spans God's galaxies. It crosses cosmos, okay? But what John's describing here is the capital city of heaven. Every state and country on our earth has a capital. What's the capital city of America? You guys know this? Washington. No more trick questions, okay? <laughs> What's the capital of China? You know, Beijing, good. The capital of Greece, Athens. Every country on earth has a capital city. And guess what? So does heaven. The capital city of heaven is called the New Jerusalem. And this is the place that Jesus said, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you in John 14. So what you're about to read right now are the specs of this urban construction project that Jesus has been working on for 2,000 years. If you're a contractor, you're an engineer, you're going to like this. Take a look. Let's look at the first, the sheer size of this city because verses 15 and 16 give us the basic dimensions of the new Jerusalem. Here's what John writes. He says, the angel who talked with me he had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a what? Like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod, and he found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. Now, if you look at your footnote, you'll see 12,000 stadia is around 1,400 miles, okay? So the city is actually laid out in the shape of a cube, yeah? 1,400 miles long, 1,400 wide, 1,400 high. That translates to more than 2 million square miles on the ground floor, okay? Translation, it's huge. People often wonder, well, you know, how will all the Christians down through the ages fit into heaven? There will not be a space problem. Just to give you a sense of the sheer size, here's the city John describes here. This is 10 times larger than France, it is 40 times larger than England, not London, the entire continent of England, 40 times bigger than that. It is even larger than India. In other words, the heavenly city is its own continent. J.B. Smith said, if you compare the new Jerusalem to the United States, it would mean a city spanning from Canada all the way down to Mexico, from the shores of New Jersey all the way to Colorado. Now, for us, we're like, what? Because a single city that size is difficult to comprehend. And remember, the Bible says it's a cube, so it extends upward as far as it does outward. Now, why a cube? If you know something about the Old Testament, you'll know that the Holy of Holies inside the tabernacle, which means dwelling place of God, was a cube. It was 20 by 20 by 20 cubits. That was the tabernacle, the dwelling place in the old Jerusalem. But this is the what? The new Jerusalem, and it's supersized to accommodate the population of believers all the way from the Old Testament to our modern day. One scholar calculated a cube of this proportion would actually be about 600,000 stories in height, meaning each of those 600,000 stories covers the same 2 million miles as the ground floor. You know how large that total space would be if you calculate it? Any of you do the math on this one? I did it for you. This would be 1.2 billion square miles of living area within the city, all right? Heaven will be crowded, but not cramped. There will be room to stretch out. 
Now, here in the metro area, right, we think of New York City. That's the most pop densely populated in America. 21 million people jammed into that city. Tokyo has 28 million people jammed in, even more crowded. Now, put that in perspective, because the largest city in, in the first century, around 100 AD, was Rome, and it was packed with 400,000 people, okay? Today, in our world, there are 100 cities in China with more than a million people. And by the year 2030, more than 60% of the entire population will be living in cities. So understand right now in our culture, rural living is disappearing in the modern world. And urbanization is underway. But there will not be a population problem in heaven. Because based on the dimensions John gives here in Revelation, the population of the New Jerusalem, if you counted people per square mile relative to like the city of London, guess how many people could fit in this city? 100 billion people. In other words, 14 times the population of our entire globe right now. Translation, the cities of our modern world are mere villages compared to the city that God is preparing for his people. Heaven is for real and really big. It is the crown jewel of God's creation. Speaking of, um, you know, heaven and New York City, actually, you may have heard of the taxi driver, right, who dies and he goes to heaven, and he's waiting in line, and a priest is waiting in line behind him, and they get up, and St. Peter says, okay, what's your name? And the taxi driver is like, oh, I'm Joe Beningo from New York, right? And Peter says, oh, great, the taxi driver's here. We've been waiting for you, sir. And he leads the taxi driver to this beautiful mansion with an Olympic-sized swimming pool, and the priest standing behind him says, oh, I can't wait to see my place. This is awesome. Peter comes back, and he leads the priest to this little rundown shack with like a little filthy mattress. He says, here's your room. The priest is like, there's got to be some mistake here. Shouldn't I be the one who gets the mansion? After all, I preach God's word, you know, every Sunday. And Peter said, oh, that's true. But up here in heaven, we go by results. While you preached, people slept. But while he drove, people prayed. Right? That's kind of... I think we'll be surprised by... <laughs> by who we'll see in heaven, you know? You guys know anything about cities, you know that cities are very diverse, right? Think of New York City. When you go to Penn Station, you hear six to seven languages all spoken at once within a square city block. Same thing in heaven. In Revelation 7, look what John says. He says, there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, read this together, from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That's Jesus Christ. Heaven is diverse, and I hope you like diversity. Scripture says every race, every country, every tongue and ethnicity will be present. I think a lot of believers are going to be surprised by heaven's diversity, right? Think about that. There won't be any prejudice or bigotry in heaven, I promise you that. There will be all the colors of Benetton will be there, all right? You think New Jersey is diverse? We're getting a preview of the complexion of the real NJ, the New Jerusalem. Heaven is for real. Heaven is a city. Heaven is diverse. Heaven is huge. But look what else, what John writes here about the New Jerusalem. He calls it, I love this, the holy city. Now, I want you to think of most major cities. Are they holy? New York is not a holy city, okay? Think of the streets around Times Square, right? They are filthy. They are grimy. They're littered with trash panhandlers and prostitutes and drug gangs and all that. And people pushing and bumping and stepping over each other, giving each other the salute with the state bird. New York is not a holy city. Now contrast the streets of New York with the streets of 
heaven. Here's New York, here's heaven. You know what it says? The great street of the holy city was of gold. Oh, so it's yellow, gold, as pure as transparent glass. Now, can you imagine this? Most people say, you know, oh, follow the yellow brick road. That's the Wizard of Oz. Gold streets are a cliche to some people, but this is gold that we've never actually even experienced because on earth, right, gold is yellow, right? But in heaven, gold is clear. It's like transparent glass, which means this. The construction of the city has been refined and purified to such a level of perfection that you can actually see right through it. We have never seen anything like this on our earth. On this planet, we think, you know, gold is as pure as it gets. But in heaven, heaven's holy, meaning there's a level of transparency that we've never seen. Now, when I think of cities on earth, I think pollution. <laughs> but in heaven, it's purity, and it's a reflection of God's holiness. In other words, not just the, the materials of construction, but the character of the city itself. The holiness of Jesus Christ pervades the city. There is purity and transparency. Now, I want you to contrast that with our nation's capital city. Think of Washington, D.C., it is known for its corruption and its power plays. In fact, on vacation, Colleen and I watched this series on Netflix called House of Cards. Have you ever seen this with Kevin Spacey? Very popular series. It's about basically the power brokers and Washington senators. And it shows behind the scenes how government really operates. And it's brutal. We stopped watching after the first episode. It is so dark because everybody is out for themselves to get their own power. They stab one another in the back. And we're watching this. We're like, I think this is probably accurate. This is probably how Washington actually is. That's life in our nation's capital. Dirty politics, not in heaven's capital. In the capital city of heaven, it is holy transparency. No corruption, no deceit, no lies, no double dealings, no partisan politics because it's ruled by the government of God. So it is slept, swept clean of corruption forever. No crime, no pollution, no poverty, no hunger, because the city is governed by the King of kings and Lord of lords. It is perfectly just, completely transparent. See, the character of Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone of the city. Look at the materials here that's used to build the foundation. It says this in verse 19. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, ruby, chrysolite, beryl, topaz, turquoise, the 11th jason, the 12th amethyst. In other words, the Bible says this city is built on 12 layers of precious gemstones stacked on top of each other, one on top of another. Have you ever seen like a 12-layer cake? It's like that. So as you approach the city, it's going to glimmer like this, this shimmering kind of rainbow. It's not the rainbow city, but it's refracting Brilliant light like a diamond necklace held up to the sun. You ever see a city like that? The closest I've seen from far away is Las Vegas. I spent a year out in film school in Los Angeles, and one weekend we said, hey, let's drive to Vegas. We've never been there. And we drove at night, and if you've ever driven from Los Angeles to Vegas, you know it's, it's amazing because you drive through the desert, and it's completely dark, like, I mean, pitch black at night. And then all of a sudden, we see in the distance this shimmering little dot of light, and it gets bigger and bigger, and then it's, like, glowing, and it's completely dark, and then it's like, it's like this neon pimple you want to, like, pop, pop there. And I remember driving into Las Vegas and just being overwhelmed driving in because I was bombarded with the lights of the Strip. The difference is the deeper we got into Vegas, it was depressing because on Main Street, you had people, you know, drunk, falling off, you know, the curbs, promotional ads for professional, you know, call girls. It was the opposite of the holy city. 
Up close, Vegas was vile, okay? There's a reason they call it Sin City, right? And the next morning, I will never forget looking out my hotel room and seeing the sun rise. There is nothing more depressing than Las Vegas in the daylight. Literally, you never see pictures of Las Vegas at day because you have streets that were once filled with revelers. Now there's trash, there's puke on the ground. Vegas in the, with the lights off, it's like a streetwalker without her makeup on. It's disgusting. Heaven is the opposite. As you come into the city, nearer and nearer, the vision dazzles and grows brighter and more brilliant. In fact, did you know this? The new Jerusalem is so bright, there is no darkness ever. Look at verse 23. It says, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For what? The glory of God gives it light and the Lamb, Jesus Christ, is its lamp. There is no sun, S-U-N, because the whole city is illuminated by the sun, S-O-N, by the glory of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. That's going to set the city ablaze. So there's no need for lights and lamps and candles or cell phones. Imagine as you approach that city, God's glory just shining and shimmering through those 12 layers of precious stones until you finally see the pearly gates. Now, I, I understand. In our culture, pearly gates Sounds like a fairy tale, but it actually has a biblical basis here in verse 21. Look what it says. The 12 gates were 12 what? Pearls. Each gate made of a single pearl. And some of you are thinking, man, that's a huge pearl. How big is this oyster, right? How many? Come on. <laughs> Don't miss the significance. How is a pearl created? What happens? When a grain of sand enters an oyster, and wounds it and irritates it. And that wound causes the oyster to create this beautiful pearl around it to protect itself. In other words, a pearl is something beautiful that was created out of something quite painful. And as one scholar pointed out, that means as we enter in and out of the gates of the city, the great pearl, we will be reminded the only reason we are in the city is because of the wounds and the pain and the suffering of our Savior Jesus Christ. Every time you go in and out, God's son will be at the forefront. What he endured on the cross, that's the only reason you're allowed into heaven. The cross, something painful for Christ, has become something beautiful for us. Amen? That's what the gates of pearl represent. And notice there are 12 of them. Did you see this? It had a great high wall, Revelation says, with 12 gates, 12 angels at the gates. And on the gates were written the name of the 12 tribes of Israel. The number 12 appears over 20 times in Revelation. 12 layers of stone, 12 gates, 12 angels. The tree of life has 12 crops of fruit. Why 12? Anybody know? This is fascinating. This is a reference to the people of God in both the Old and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, you had 12 tribes of Israel. And in the New Testament, you had 12 apostles. In other words, it is a symbol of the people of God spanning the ages and being united as one in Jesus Christ. And this is a beautiful picture, isn't it? All the believers through the ages being united as one. But let's, you know, let's be honest for a moment because we don't really get that because on earth we're like, that's beautiful in heaven. But most critics of Christianity point to how disunified Christians are on earth, don't they? They say, you Christians, help me understand. I had one guy ask me that one time. Help me understand why you have all these denominations, right? Like, if you all believe in the same Christ, why do you break off and have your own little sex and everything, right? Twelve tribes, twelve apostles. Did you know today there are over 20,000 Christian denominations around the world? But you know what's cool? In heaven, what we see is none of it will matter. 
all denominational differences will dissolve. Now, Liquid is a non-denominational church because we're like, we want to get you ready for heaven. But it reminds me of kind of a funny story you might have heard. One day a guy dies. He's a devout uh, Christian. And St. Peter meets him at the pearly gates. And he gives him this tour of heaven. And as they go from room to room, St. Peter points out all the different Christian denominations. He says, oh, look, there in that room, those are the Catholics. You know, there they are. There's the Episcopalians over here. Over there are the Methodists. They're eating a jello mold, you know. The Presbyterians and so forth. But then they come to this one room and the door is closed. And, and this small group is sitting very quiet by themselves. And Peter whispers, goes, oh, shh, be very, very quiet. And so they tiptoe by this room. And finally, once they get by, the guy goes, why do we have to be so quiet around them? And Peter says, well, that group is the Baptists. They think they're the only ones here. You know, it's... <laughs> I grew up Baptist. I can kick my own family, all right? Just relax. Just relax. Don't get upset. The reality is it doesn't matter what denomination you are in heaven because you don't gain entry into heaven by attending a church. It does not matter if you grew up in a Christian family. The only thing that matters is what did you do with Jesus Christ? Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. But through me, anybody can come to the Father. So the question facing you and I is, well, what did you do about Jesus Christ? Is he just a great teacher that you learned about in Sunday school? Is he an inspiring historical figure, you know? Or is he your Lord and he's your Savior? Remember, you do not get into heaven based on the good works that we do, but what on Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. True Christians through the ages believe a very simple message, and it is that sin separates us from our Father in heaven. He created us in love, but we rebel. We sin against him, but out of love... God sends his one and only son to die on the cross, to forgive our sins. He's our substitute. And when we put our faith in him, that's what crosses the expanse from heaven to earth. We repent, God removes our sin, and he gives us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So when you hear like, well, only saints get into heaven, you know what a saint is? A saint is just an ordinary person who has the righteousness of Christ. That's how God sees you. The Bible says in the New Jerusalem, you will meet saints from all time. In other words, Moses and Elijah. You can ask them, hey, what was it like to part the Red Sea? That was, you called fire down from heaven. How did that happen? That's incredible. You will meet modern saints of the faith, from, uh, saints of the faith you know, Mother Teresa, Billy Graham. But you know what? Heaven will mostly be filled by ordinary saints like you and me, who are just sinners, but saved by the incredible grace of God we will actually be shocked at some of the surprises we see there. We will see no, not just good people, notorious bad people, like Jeffrey Dahmer. You remember Jeffrey Dahmer? Mass murderer, cannibal, that whole thing. In prison, it was reported that he repented and trusted Christ for salvation. And that's upsetting to some people. They're like, I can't get over this idea because God's grace is radical. It doesn't matter what you've done. He offers forgiveness and love to any man, woman, and child who's humble enough. To confess their sin, repent of it, and say, I was wrong. I submit my life to the Lordship of Christ. So understand, no matter what you've done or what kind of life you live, you can secure your place in heaven through authentic, sincere faith in Christ. In Revelation 22, it describes believers this way. Look at this. It says, blessed are those who wash their robes that they may go through the gates into the city. Now, what does that mean, wash their robes? It simply means only those who've been washed clean of their sin by the blood of Jesus Christ will be able to enter heaven. 
The blood of Christ removes the stain of your sin and it cleanses you of a guilty conscience. So if you've become a believer, that's one thing you need to know. You are, one of your assurances of salvation is that you no longer have to carry the guilt or the shame or regret for past failures in your life. If Jesus Christ has set you free, you are free indeed. Amen? You're forgiven. The old is gone. The new has come. Just ask Carrie. She is a woman in our congregation who was baptized last fall at Liquid. And baptism is just a symbol of salvation in Christ. When you go down into the water, you're being washed by the blood of Jesus. You come out of it, your heart is washed clean. You're raised to new life. You're clothed in his righteousness and a new t-shirt. Yeah? (laughs) Baptism is a symbol of salvation. And we're having a spring baptism service at every Liquid campus in just a couple weeks. I want you to listen to Carrie explain why she decided to be baptized. Hi, my name's Carrie, and um, I'm so excited to get baptized on the 10th. And uh, God has just been an incredible force in my life in such a very short period of time. I was raised uh, at my dad's request as a Catholic and uh, I went through all the three sacraments as a child. I don't really remember ever feeling a connection to God, nothing, nothing of a protective, loving nature anyway. My life took, a, a lot of things happened. My mom died, um, I had a two-year-old. I felt like I was drowning. That is the best way to put it. And my, I felt like I was just drowning. And I started reaching outside of myself more desperately than I had in the past for things to, to survive, um, which or what I thought was going to help me survive, and and they weren't necessarily good things. I mean, I, you know, um, I turned to alcohol, I um, shopping, food, just everything. You know, anything grabbing at, at anything, no matter what the consequences or who it may have affected. I just was so desperate to change how I felt. It was very fleeting always, and and I would end up back into that depression and that feeling of, of um, complete insecurity and fear. Just the, I, just the fear was debilitating in some days. Then in August of this year, I was traveling with a girlfriend of mine who was also Christian. And she never pushed her beliefs on me, but she wasn't shy about, you know, talking about Jesus and we would have hours upon hours of conversations about God, about, you know, I, I learned that people, um, and for whatever reason at this point too, it's so cool because I started actually believing what she was telling me. She downloaded an app for me called Jesus Calling, and it was the most beautiful, peaceful. It told me of, a, of Jesus who would, you know, I just have to follow this Jesus. He knows me. He knows my path. He knows what I think before. I do. He, he accepts me as I am. I'm forgiven. That was the key. I'd be forgiven just by asking. And today, I, you know, I have good days, bad days, um, but they're never hopeless, and they're never loaded with unsurmounting fear or anxiety. So I want to get baptized today because I want death to self. I want less of my old self every day, and I want more of 
the self that God wants for me. And so I'm hoping to come out of that water with more of God's self and God's will and God's way of life and rinsing away some of that old life. A lot of it, God, if you want to take all of it, go for it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm all down for that, so. <laughs> we have the privilege of baptizing you, Karen, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We here for Carrie. That's a pretty cool story. You don't get baptized to be saved. You get baptized because you are saved. You're saying, I am turning from my old life to the new life that God has for me. Death to me, Christ now alive in me. And that's what heaven is. Why do we do baptism? Because the Bible makes it very clear. Here's what the Bible says. It says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for what? For the forgiveness of your sins. Can I ask you, have you been baptized? Because we are having a spring baptism service this May at every liquid campus. And this is the perfect moment for some of you to be baptized, okay? Let me be very clear about this. If you stood up on Easter, you prayed that prayer of salvation, you asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, to be your Lord and Savior, you need to be baptized. This is your next step as a believer. Jesus was very big on public acknowledgement of him. He said, whoever, watch, Jesus said, whoever acknowledges me publicly on earth in front of men, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. In other words, it's just like a wedding. You want to announce your love and your commitment before everybody, and that's what baptism is. It's a public declaration of your commitment to follow Christ. So for many of you here today, if you've never been baptized, your next step as a Christian is to sign up and be baptized at your campus. And we've made this super easy. At the end of today's service, you can visit the baptism booth in your lobby. We're going to give you information, a CD, help you sign up, confirm your decision. So if you're one of the 179 people who said, you know what, I am following Christ, this is your next step. This is an important, if you, this is very important if you're a new Christian. In fact, let me just say this. It doesn't even matter if you're a new Christian. If you're an old Christian, I see some of you, you're old. <laughs> Seriously, if you've been a believer for years, but you've never been baptized, why not? You need to do this. You need to get baptized this spring as a sign that you've been washed clean by Christ and heaven is your new home. Let me ask you this question. When you come one day to the gates of heaven, yeah, will you get through? You know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you will not be denied entry into the heavenly city. Do you know that? I don't want to end like on a bummer note, but I need to tell you what Revelation says here. It said, blessed are those who wash their robes that they may go through the gates into the city. But then it says this, outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everybody who loves and practices falsehood. See, not everybody who lives on earth will get into the heavenly city. We make a lot of jokes, right? I mean, about, you know, waiting in line at the pearly gates. But the truth is, when that day comes, the Bible says some will want to get in, but they'll be shut out. Outside the gates are the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, the liars. Now, you can hear that one of two ways. Some of you are like, well, that's not me. I've never lied. Really? I've never been lustful. I've never hated someone in my heart. Guess what? Now you're lying and you're guilty of pride, right? <laughs> It's the mother of all sins. Or you can hear these words and in in, in, in people sometimes say, like, oh, no, I'm screwed. That's me. I have committed all sorts of sins in my life, alcohol, sex, whatever it is. I am definitely on this list. Listen to me. 
The Bible doesn't say you can't ever have committed any sin. You won't get into the new Jerusalem. It's referring to sins as lifestyles. In other words, these are people who practice this sin willingly. They have never repented of their sin and given their life to Christ and asked for his forgiveness. So understand, every single person who steps through the gates of heaven will have sinned at some point. It's just that it doesn't count anymore because it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ that God sees. Amen? That's all you have to do. You were given a chance to repent. You may still struggle, but your future is secure because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's now the mark on your life. It's funny. I was um, chaperoning a class trip one time to Washington, D.C., right? Our nation's capital. And I had a group of middle school boys, okay? These are seventh grade boys we took to Washington, D.C., and we drove down in this bus. You know, we're going to go look at all the sites, the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial, all that kind of stuff, the White House. But we had to stand in line to get into the Capitol building. You had to show them your ID. You had to write your name down in the security log because they were doing construction, all that, and the line was very, very long. And so, I, you know, they come and they say, okay, you got to write your name in the book. We'll stamp your hand, and then you can come back later, and you'll go right into the Capitol. But I got a group of seventh grade boys with me, okay? They didn't want to wait. They wanted to go like spit in the reflecting pool, you know? They want to parkour off of Congress, right? So they're like, come on, Mr. Lucas. So we didn't sign the book, all that. We left. We went to another museum. We figured, well, we'll come back later when the line's shorter. So we go to all these other sites. We go have lunch. It's awesome. And then we come back in the late afternoon. We're like, perfect. There's a very short line, like 12 people. So we run up to the gates of the Capitol, and the security officer is like, okay, where's the stamp on your hand? And we're like, oh, we didn't get the stamp. You know, we were here earlier. You remember these kids are kind of crazy, you know, help me, dude, you know? And he goes, oh, I remember you guys. And then he opens the book up, and he goes, did you register? And I'm like, no, we didn't have time to register and everything. He's like, sorry, man. If your name's not in the book, you ain't getting in. No name, no entry. And I look at my boys, and this one seventh grade kid goes, Wah, 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 denied, Mr. Lucas, you know. <laughs> but it was a shame, right? We drove all the way to Washington, the capital city, and came this close to getting in, and the door got what? Slammed in our face. Why? Because our names weren't written down in the book. Why? Guess what? Revelation says there will be a similar checkpoint in the capital city of the New Jerusalem. It says nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are what? Written in the Lamb's book of life. Can I ask you, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? That's Jesus Christ's book. Are you sure about this? You have personally responded and received the gift of salvation through trust in God's one and only Son, His death on the cross for your sin. Because only those whose names are written in blood, <laughs> the blood of Christ, in God's book of life, get into the capital. The rest will be denied entry. Revelation says only true believers, they will see his face. His name will be written on their foreheads. In other words, that's now the mark that defines your life. You know, maybe on Easter you were here and you wanted to stand up and pray to receive Christ as your Savior, but for whatever reason you didn't. You, you were unsure, you felt embarrassed, or you still had questions. But maybe God's been speaking to you. And you know what? His Spirit has been stirring up faith in your heart, and today is the day. This is a second chance moment. This is not too late. You can actually receive salvation and become a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you a chance to do that at the end of today's service in just a minute. I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer of salvation. It's nothing magic. It's simply praying to God and humbling yourself and asking him to forgive your sin and live in you by his spirit. 
Today, there are some of you who are here, you're watching online, listening on the radio, you can go from shut out of God's family to welcome forever in heaven. And I understand some of you are this close. I understand that. You're like, I've been coming, I've been coming, I just haven't felt the right moment. This is that moment. <laughs> it's never 100%. That's why they call it faith. You can still have questions. You can still struggle. But you do need to repent and you do need to make this personal. So I want to give you a chance to do that today as we close. For some of you, you're going to pray now to ask Christ to come into your heart for the first time, make it clean, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer of salvation. But for others of you, your next step is to sign up today and be baptized in obedience to Christ. At the end of the service, go straight into the lobby at the baptism booth, sign up. So let's do this. All our campuses, would you bow your heads just as I pray for everybody here? Father God, I pray right now for people who are making decisions to follow Jesus Christ. I pray for your Holy Spirit now to flood their mind, Father God, to flood their heart, Father. Rise up in faith, Father God. We know that every salvation, every decision for Christ is a miracle. Lord, the gospel is a miracle that we could be forgiven and reunited with our Father in heaven forever, guaranteed. This is a miracle. And so, Father, I pray right now for miracles across New Jersey. I pray for people being born again, that this is the day of their salvation. With all heads bowed, if that's you right now, you can simply pray under your breath. Just pray out loud after me and say, My Father in heaven, I confess my sin and I receive Christ as my Savior. Speak directly to Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe you were raised for my new life. I ask you to be Lord of my life. Fill me with your spirit now. I turn from my sin and I will follow you all of my days. Again, with all heads bowed, if that's you, you prayed that prayer, would you, just, would you just raise your hand so I can see you, so I can pray for you today? Praise God for you. God bless you, sir. God bless you. Look at that kingdom of God, people coming in. God bless you. God bless you. That is awesome. This is a day of salvation. Let's hear it for those people. We're welcoming you. As brothers and sisters, you're born again into God's family. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.